like to invite you to go ahead and open your Bibles up to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 7. I'll be reading from there in just a moment. While you're doing that, I want to say how thankful I am to not only be here, but to be a part of the family that is meeting here. John prayed that this morning in his prayer, that we be reminded that we are a family. And what do families do when families are experiencing times where maybe you have people who are sick or people who aren't feeling good, they pull together. And that's what I've seen this morning in, in us. We have many that are not able to be here due to sickness, due to traveling, and we have pulled together. Uh, many of are, are volunteering today to do things that they weren't necessarily signed up to do. And, and, and i got to say that I've been greatly encouraged by the singing. I've been encouraged by the prayers that have been led. I've been greatly encouraged by Ronnie's Lord's Supper talk. Uh, that's, a, that's a sermon that, that Ronnie gave to us there, a great message that he brought to us. So I, I just I want to say how thankful I am to be a part of this family here at Lake Street, to be a part of you, and that hopefully now I can get up and I can try to encourage you in some way. And so let's look to Mark chapter 7, to the, the message that, that Jesus is delivering there, a message that really we're going to see, I believe, is, is, is amplified more by not just the, the words that Jesus spoke, but the words of the people around Jesus and what they spoke. Um, some truly amazing things that we can learn here about it, what it means to be faithful. And I want us to think this morning a little bit about that, about where we are today. Because I believe Christians in general at times take for granted the faith that we have. They take for granted where we are. If you're thinking about that this, this morning, if you're here this morning, if you are a saved child of God, I want you to think about for a little while, a time before that, when you weren't saved, when you weren't washed in the blood, when you weren't redeemed by the Lamb. Now this morning, if you're here and you have not yet made a decision to do that, I want you to also be thinking about the life that you live right now and how it might be affected by the judgment day, how it might be affected by the return of the Lamb and what opportunity you have this morning to become a saved child of God. And you're going to have that opportunity if it be your desire. But for those who have, do you remember the time when you were not saved? How often do we think about that? I think that's, that's important for us to consider because, like I said, for many, they take it for granted, especially what we might call Gentile Christians. Now, if you know what I'm saying by that, I'm saying those that didn't, that were not raised in, in such a manner that they had a covenant relationship with God to begin with. Now, I don't know for certain, but I don't think that I have to get on Ancestry.com and look up blood samples for all of us here to learn that there's very few of us that are full-blooded Israelites here today. I don't think there's any Levites or Benjaminites or, or, or Reubenites that are in the, uh, in the audience today. But... That's one of the great privileges that we have is that the covenant that was made with the children of Israel was opened and expanded to all. But do we truly think about that? Do we think about the wonderful blessing that we have to be marked as one of the faithful? That's what I want to get out of our discussion this morning. I want to go ahead and, and just right up front preface this study with a caution because we're going to be talking about some Greek words in this sermon, and I'm going to probably get them wrong, so don't hold, me that, uh, you know, hold that against me. And we're also going to be looking at maps. This is going to be a little bit academic, but I think there's some reason why looking at it this way can really help us to understand what Jesus is saying in Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 30. Let's read that together real quick. It says, From there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and wanted no one to know it. 
but he could not be hidden. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. And the woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, Let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, For this saying, Go your way. The daughter has gone out of your de- uh, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on the bed. No doubt about it, this is one of those things of Jesus that sometimes leaves people scratching their heads. How could you say some of the things that you said to this woman? How could this happen? What, what was going on here? Why was he saying these things? And why was, what, was this response uh, so ma- fascinating to Jesus, her response? That's what I want to look at this morning. To begin, we need to understand the very first part of verse 24 tells us that he was going somewhere. It says he arose and went from the region or to the region of Tyre and Sidon. That's what I want to spend just a little bit of time looking at this morning, where this account takes place. So I know this map is quite small. This is a cross-section of, of the Palestine area. Over here we have the, the Mediterranean Sea. And right here on the corner, this right here is the Sea of Galilee. We usually don't recognize it because of the way this map is cut out. But here at the Sea of Galilee is where a lot of Jesus' actions are going on. We've seen Him feed the 5,000. We have seen Him walk on water. We have seen Him to go into the land around the, of Capernaum, Genesaret, and, and in this area, He is going into villages and people are bringing their, their, their sick, their demon-possessed. All of these people are bringing people to Him to be healed and He's healing them. Jesus is doing amazing good things in this area. And yet, we pick up in, in chapter or verse 24... And it says that he arose from this area right here is where he's arising through. And he's going to travel all the way up north to Tyre. Tyre and Sidon. Sidon actually would probably be somewhere up around here. It's a little bit further north than Tyre. But he, arri- he goes up into this region. Now that's a 40-mile hike. That's a long distance to get from Capernaum up to there. And, and just to help us see this a little bit better, if, if you're not if you're not familiar with it, this land feature right here, this little fish hook, whenever you see that, you can know right away that when you're looking at the map, that's, that's Mount Carmel. That's where Elijah had the contest with the prophets of Baal and he called down the fire on the, on the, uh, the altars and burned them up and they, they killed the, the many prophets of Baal there. This is really far north. In fact, this is the farthest north Jesus ever travels that we have recorded away from Jerusalem, out of, outside of his, his kind of area of work in Galilee even. This is way, way up there. Why did Jesus travel all the way up to Tyre and Sidon? Well, it says in the end of verse 24, he could not be hidden. That should give us an indication, a little bit of what was going on. It tells us he was trying to be hidden. Now, this wouldn't be the first time that we get the idea that Jesus maybe needs a break. There's times in his history that he has shown that. In Mark chapter 6, uh, verses, uh, let's see, verse 21. No, verse 31, excuse me. Mark chapter 6, verse 31. Jesus has sent out the apostles and he sent them out two by two. And when they come back and they're reporting the things that they have done, he says, you all need a rest. He says, let's depart, go to a deserted place 
and rest a while. He recognizes that hard work, especially spiritual hard work, can burn somebody out. They need a rest. They need a break sometimes from that hard work. And so he says, let's, let's go take a rest. John chapter 4. John chapter 4 and verse 6, Jesus is traveling up to Galilee and they're cutting through Samaria, something unheard of for Jews at that time. And when they get to Jacob's well, the disciples say, well, we're going to go on into town and get food. And Jesus stayed at the well, verse 6, because he was wearied from his travel. Jesus shows over and over again that the physical side of him sometimes needed to be recharged. He got tired. He was doing a lot of hard work, and he's doing hard work here in Capernaum. He's healing people. He's, he's teaching people. He's feeding people. He's doing all these things. But there's something else that's going on in Capernaum. At the first part of chapter 7, we talked about Jesus spoke to them about defilement. Now, defilement comes from within, not from the food that you eat. Do you remember the reason why he had to have that conversation? Here's the reason why he had to have that conversation. This right here is the whole map of Palestine. I'm going to turn it on its side, but this is, you know, this is the Dead Sea down here. Here's the Jordan River, and there's the Sea of Galilee up there. The Jews traveled from Jerusalem, down here right up top, <clears throat> even with the top of the Dead Sea, all the way to Capernaum so that they could confront Jesus about his disciples eating food with unwashed hands. Now, we talk a lot about, like we did at the Lord's Supper table, about what Jesus experienced on the cross. We need to think about that. Like I said, I'm so thankful that Ronnie brought that up. Did a great job focusing our minds on that. You ever stopped and thought about the silly, ignorant things that Jesus experienced in his life on the earth with the way people treated him? You think about what he was doing. He was healing people who were sick. He, was, he had fed the 5,000. He's walked on waters. He's done things that say, I am being attested to by God through signs and wonders and miracles. I am the creator of the universe. I am the son of God. He deserved praise. What he got was a band of Jews that traveled who knows how far. They didn't go a straight line because that cuts through Samaria. They had to cross the Jordan sometime to get up to here. And they come all the way up here so they could say, you know what your guys do? Your disciples, they eat food without washed hands. doesn't even speak about that in the Scriptures. That's a tradition of men, but we want to come all the way so we can confront you about this. That is what he experienced. His creation, the people he created, and the people that should have known him better than anyone else, that's the way they treated him. And so maybe that's the reason that Jesus takes the 40-mile trek up to Tyre and Sidon. He's getting out of Jew country at this point. You're going up when the to real heavy Gentile country where the Greeks, the Syrophoenician woman, this is the kind of people that inhabit this land. Maybe he just said, I need a break. I just need to recharge for a moment. And so he goes up and he's in this house and he doesn't get a break. He gets another request. This woman comes and she throws herself down in front of him. Well, before we get to that point, first she just comes and she is asking him, I know who you are. My daughter has this problem. I would like you to do something about it. Mark chapter 7, verse 25. She has this, un, uh, this, this unclean spirit possessing her daughter. And, and over again, she's, she's coming to Jesus. She's saying, please do something. Verse 26 says, she kept asking him. I want you to turn over to Matthew chapter 5 for a minute. Matthew chapter 5 is Matthew's account of, of what Paul, or of, excuse me, of what Mark has, has just, we've just read in Mark. 
Matthew records a little bit more information from a different, different standpoint than Mark does. And in Matthew chapter 5, uh, it's not 5, verse 15, Matthew, wow, Matthew 15, excuse me. Matthew chapter 15. I have to just get away from my tongue for a minute. Matthew 15, we're going to start reading in verse 22. I want you to listen to what Matthew says. Behold, a woman of Canaan came from the region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. This wasn't just some woman coming and saying, Hey, fix my daughter. This was someone who came and said, I know who you are. You're the son of David. All those Jews that we just talked about, they didn't recognize that. They fought against that. She says, you're the son of David. You are the Lord. Please help me. And verse 23 tells us that Jesus answered her not a word. He didn't respond to her. She acknowledges Jesus. And we see, we see these characters being brought up. You have the Syrophoenician woman and you have Jesus having you know, this conversation here, one-sided conversation. She's coming. She acknowledges Jesus as the Lord, the Son of David. Jesus does not acknowledge her. He does not answer her. And so she turns to His disciples. In verse 23, it says, Her disciples came and urged Him, saying, Send her away, for she cried out after us. She cried out after us. She's, 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 now she's pestering us. She's coming to us and she's, she's trying to get us to do something about this. If you'll remember, back in Mark chapter 6, Jesus had given them the ability to cast out unclean spirits and sent them out into the world. That's the whole reason He told them to take this rest. So, so now she comes to them and she says, You do something about this, please. And they're saying, Jesus, please do something. They say, Send her away. And I don't think it carries with the idea of just, just get rid of her. Because if you'll notice, his response was, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now I'm going to tell you right now, I think that Jesus is responding to his disciples there. I think his disciples have come and said, Jesus, send her away. And Jesus says to them, I wasn't sent to her. I was sent to the lost house of Israel, the children of Israel. Of Israel. <clears throat> that tells me that part of what's going on here is to teach them a lesson. Part of what's going on here is so that Jesus' disciples, the people that know Christ, the people that follow Christ, can learn something. And that means that this was recorded not only for them, but this is recorded so that me and you can learn something. So that us, Disciples, people who know Christ, people who follow Christ, can learn something about Him and about His will. And so He tells them, I wasn't sent. And the woman, she, she seems to hear that. Because in verse 20, uh, 25, it says, She came and worshipped Him, saying, Lord, help me. Remember in Mark, it said that she threw herself at His feet. So I just want us to picture what's going on now. This woman, Jesus has, has traveled all the way up to Tyre and Sidon, possibly looking for, for some refreshing, just, just time away from all the problems that he's dealing with, maybe. But he's traveled this great distance. He gets to a house, and here's this woman, Syrophoenician, this woman who is a Gentile that's come and said, look, my daughter is being possessed. I want you to do something about it. And he's not talking to her. He's ignoring her. Now she's bothering his disciples. His disciples now are bothering him, saying, hey, you've got to do something about this, Jesus. And Jesus says, I wasn't sent. I wasn't sent to take care of the Gentiles. 
I was sent for the house of Israel. Now what he's referencing is the fact that there's a promise made to Abraham. And so he was coming to fulfill that promise. I was sent to the children of Israel. And now the woman throws herself at his feet. You know, he wasn't acknowledging her before, but you almost have to acknowledge someone now who is at your feet saying, Lord, please help me. At the very least, he's going to have to look at her to walk around her, step over her, something. He, she throws herself in front of him. And as Matthew says, she worships him. She's showing him his worth in her eyes. That he is worth enough. His, she, she has enough trust in his ability that she's willing to just lay herself out on the ground in front of her to say, please, please help me, Jesus. And now we start to get Jesus' response to the woman. Mark chapter 7, verse 27. Matthew chapter 15, verse 26. He says, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Actually, let's look at this in Mark's. That was Matthew's account. Let's look at it in Mark's. He says, Let the children be filled first. It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. There's a lot to that response. And unfortunately, for a lot of readers, this is where they get hung up. That's a tough thing, just reading that right now. That seems like a very harsh thing to say to someone who is laying at your feet begging for your help. I came to feed the children, not you little dog. So I want to look at that phrase just for a minute and see some of the things that we need to recognize in his response. Number one, we really can't miss the fact that Jesus says, let the children be filled first. He doesn't say, let the children be filled. And that's it, period. You have no hope. He says, let the children be filled first. Jesus fully expects, and we can understand this from his statement here to this woman, that the bread given to the children in this example, the children that are being filled, is going to be extended to the Gentiles as well. It wasn't that it was just for the children of Israel. He came to bless the world. That was the promise to Abraham, that through your descendants the world would be blessed. He came to fulfill that and extend it to all. But right now wasn't yet the time for that. It's similar to his response to his his mother during the wedding feast in Cana when she says, hey, they've, they've run out of wine, do something about this. And he says, my time or my hour has not yet come. He was going to bless the world. But there was a reason for him to, be, to come to the children of Israel first. There was a time where his grace and his mercy was going to be extended to the Gentiles. But before that could happen, it was appointed for Jesus to come to the Israelites and for them to reject him and for them to crucify him and for him to become that Savior to the world. So first, let the children be filled. We must see that. But the second thing I want to notice is this word little. Little dog. It's really important that we see that in this text. Because there are other passages that talks about dogs. Matthew chapter 7, verse 6, Jesus speaks saying, Do not give the dogs what is holy. And in that same breath, He says, Don't cast your pearls before swine. Dog is a derogatory sense there. In Philippians chapter 3, and verse 2, Paul Warns the Philippians, watch out, be on guard for dogs. He's talking about people that are, that are going to be corruptive. So he's using it again in a derogatory sense. And even in Revelation 22, verse 15, when John records the, the revelation of Jesus Christ, 
in talking, <clears throat> in talking about the city of heaven, the city of righteousness, he says outside, as in outside the gates, outside of the city, not entering into the city, are the dogs. Over and over again we see dog is not something that you want to be described as. Dog is derogatory. In Luke chapter 16, this one's not up there, Luke 16, when, when you have the, the, the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. And Lazarus is said to be laid up at the gates of the rich man's estate. And the dogs are licking his wounds. It shows the very lowly state of Lazarus. He couldn't have nobody, nobody could take care of him. Even the, the, the street animals were, were coming and, and basically eating, licking his wounds. So why would Jesus refer to this woman as a little dog? Well, number one, in all of these cases right here, look at my pronunciation. In all of these situations right here, the word dog is the Greek word kyuon. Kyuon. There, I said it wrong even after I looked at it. Kyuon. That is the Greek word. And what it means is hound. Mutt. It refers to a stray dog. Now, we, we can understand that sort of language. Tell someone, you're just a filthy, filthy dog. You're not really giving them a compliment. You're something that's got fleas. You're something that's dirty. You're something that's mangy. You're something that I don't want to be a part of. I don't want to have in my house. What's the song? You're nothing but a hound dog. We understand that reference today very clearly. Q-on. But that is not the word that Jesus chose to use in this passage. Instead of saying Q-on, he uses this word, Q-narion. Q-narion. That means a house dog. That specifically refers to a dog that belongs to someone. A dog that is in the care of its master. A dog that is loved. A dog that is desired. And in fact, if we were going to be very specific with it, we would say it was a puppy. That's most translations say little dog. Now we can all see a puppy. When you picture a puppy, it's something you want to take care of. We, it's not a puppy anymore, but we had a puppy a couple years ago. We got that puppy and that's all we wanted to do. Is everybody wanted to play with it, wanted to hold it, and wanted to love on it. And, and that's just, oh, you just love it so much. But if it come down between me choosing to feed Ryder, Easton, and Madden and that puppy, I was going to choose Ryder, Easton, and Madden every single time. It wasn't because I didn't love the puppy. It was because at that moment... There's a greater responsibility on me to feed my children than the little dog. We have to see what Jesus is saying to this woman here. He doesn't look at her on the ground and say, get away from me, you filthy mutt. I don't have anything to do with you. He says, I've got a responsibility. A responsibility to the children of Israel. A responsibility to fulfill the promise that my father made with Abraham that he would bless their people and that I would come to them. But that is just because that responsibility comes first. Then my responsibility will expand it to the world. And then he looks at her at his feet and he says that she is like a little dog. Something that belongs to something. Something that belonged to him. He recognized that. She is his creation. And he loved her. No doubt about it. So often we get hung up on what Jesus says here, because we view it as a derogatory statement. 
But it wasn't anything but a derogatory. It was everything but a derogatory statement. Jesus was saying, I have to keep a promise. But I love you. And I'm going to bless you. It's going to happen. But it can't happen before I bless the children of Israel. Hopefully, hopefully if we can see that Jesus' refusal to heal was not because he, he had some problem with this woman, like the rest of the Jews would have had. She's a Gentile. You can't do things for her. It's because he was righteous. He was faithful to the promises that had been made. And he was going to be faithful to her. Hopefully we can move past that difficult passage in verse 27. Because, like I said, some of the most amazing things happen in response to what Jesus says here. Because the response that we see is a response that indicates the great faith of this woman. She says, yes, Lord. Verse 28, she answered and said to him, yes, Lord. And we could stop right there. Right in that response, she shows more faith than many people dream about showing today. She is acknowledging Jesus, your word is true. You're right. You came to, be, to, to feed the children of Israel first. It's not right to take the food that is given to the children and give it to the little dogs. She doesn't argue. She doesn't say, well, this is what I think. This is how I think it should be. She just says, yes, Lord. To her, she didn't understand, or at least we don't know if she understood, that God had made a promise to Abraham. She didn't, or at least we don't know if she understood, that there was this, this prophecy being fulfilled that went back thousands of years that Jesus had to do these things for this reason. She doesn't say, well, why is that the case? Jesus didn't have to say anything more than this is how it is. And she said, okay, that's how it is. Jesus said it, that's enough for me. I made a bumper sticker one time for a preacher who had been complaining about another sticker he'd seen on cars. You've maybe seen it before. I've seen a couple of them. It says, God said it, comma, I believe it, comma, that settles it, period. And so this preacher giving a lesson, he, he was complaining about this. He said, that's, that's the wrong order. That's not how that bumper sticker should go. My believing it bears no bearing on whether or not that settles it or not. God said it, that settles it, period. And so that was the bumper sticker I made for him. God said it, comma, that settles it, period. I believe it, period. That's the attitude this woman had. God said it. Jesus, you are the Lord. You are the Son of David. I know. I believe that you are the, the, the God that is coming to this world that can heal my daughter. And whatever you just said, I believe it. That's it. That's, I don't need to know anything else. You said it. That settles it. I'm going to believe it. But the thing that I love most about this woman and the reason why I, I would love to know more about this woman. I would love to know that, that she went on to become a Christian. And, and I would love to be able to sit down in heaven and speak to her and ask her about this moment. Because she exemplifies the attitude of Abraham. When God said, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And he said, what about 50 people? Will you destroy it for 50? If there's 50 righteous people. And God said, I'll save it if I can find 50 righteous people. He said, what about, what about 40 people, God? 
Would you destroy it if you find 40 people? Or what about 30? Or what about 20? Or what about 10? And over and over again, he said, Now, Lord, permit me to speak one more time. Don't be angry with me. But he recognized who God was. And he was willing to open himself up to God in that way. This woman, she says, Okay, Lord, you're right. I'm the, I'm the little dog. But please hear what I have to say. And so she continues on. Even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. She uses the exact same analogy that Jesus used. She doesn't change a thing. She says, you're right, I'm the little dog in this story. But even that little puppy, if it's in the house and the kids, you know, they're eating their food and they scrape a little bit off the side because they're, they're going to not eat that. I don't like my, my this or my that. I don't like that. I'm going to scrape it in the floor. The dog eats that. The dog isn't punished for that. The kids might be punished for that, but the dog isn't. That's the exact same thing that happens in this account. The Israelites rejected Christ. They scraped him off the table. We don't like that. Let's get him out of here. The Gentiles were not punished. They were blessed. We're reading a moment from Romans chapter 11. That's what he tells them. This was a good thing for you. It was a severe thing for the Israelites. It was a good thing for you because through it, the grace was brought to you. So she says even just the, the scraps, not even the whole meal, just the crumbs. If that is scraped off the table, would the dog be, be punished for that? I think of the marvelous faith of this woman to say this statement. Many the world over Many in that day, many in our day today would have said, do you not understand that this is my child we're talking about? This is my child. And this is a demon. This isn't something that I can just go to the pharmacy and I can fix. You're the one that can do this. So how can you say to me that it's not, it's not time? Not now. You've got to go to somebody else first. That's not fair. How many people today would say, if you can't do something about this now or if you won't do something about this now, then maybe I don't need you. Maybe I can do this myself. See, that happens each and every day. We can see that in our society. We see it in our country. We probably see it in our own families and friends. People that don't get what they want in the timeline that they want it. And they turn away from God. Turn away from the faith that they used to have. Turn away from the only thing that can truly bring them what they, what they need to other places. I can't, I, I can't have the relationships that I want right now, so I'm just going to build the relationships that I want right now. Whether I'm in a marriage relationship or not, I'm going to have the things that I want. I've been wanting this job. I've been praying for this job. I'm not getting the job. So instead of, in, instead of just being patient, instead of waiting, I'm going, to, I'm going to climb on top of people's backs. I'm going to backstab. I'm going to, I'm going to give up the things that God has called me not to neglect so that I can get the job that I want. How many times have you seen people who experience hardships, who lose those that are close to them, watch them deal with illness, lose houses, lose, lose even just items? And instead of turning to God, they turn to alcohol. They turn to drugs. They turn to bitterness and hate. We talked about hate in this class. Ever since I've been upstairs from the downstairs class, all the things that we're talking about on Sunday morning, the Sunday morning class, I feel like I'm preaching about them. Because I'm preaching about the words of Jesus. You want to talk about contemporary issues for today? And we say, well, we need to talk about homosexuality and about abortion and about these things that we deal with today. Read, read the Bible. That's what Jesus is doing. He's dealing with contemporary issues of all time. Hate is a problem then. 
hates a problem that it is uh, today too. And Jesus said, here's how you deal with it. And this is how this woman was dealing with a circumstance that sometimes breeds people to hate God because they're not getting what they want when they want it. It breeds people to turn to vices and turn to to the world to get the things that they want. And she said, no, I'm not going to do that. God, you're right. I am exactly as you said I am. And I would desire nothing more than if I could even just have the tiniest crumbs that fall off the table. And Jesus' response to her was, O woman, great is your faith. Jesus admired this woman and healed her daughter. What an awesome statement to think that Jesus looked at His creation and He admired it. I think there's a lot of times in our life that we can agree there's no way Jesus could be looking at His creation and admiring the hate, admiring the the, the wickedness, the evilness that is in our society. Jesus has just left Capernaum after His creation traveled all the way from Jerusalem so they could say, ha we got you, on such an arbitrary thing like washing your hands. And yet now He gets up here far away from where the temple of God is. In all respect, the dwelling place of God in that day. And He finds a woman who says, I know who you are. I know who you can do. I know that what you say is true. And I am fully submissive to that, literally laying at his feet. She says, give me the smallest blessing possible. That'll be enough for me. I don't need everything that I'm asking for. I don't need, I don't need the whole meal. Just one little crumb. That's, that's enough. This Gentile woman was blessed for her faith. We are blessed by her faith, having this knowledge of this account to embolden us, to strengthen us. And so with all that on our mind, I want to just go over a few closing thoughts with that. Number one is this isn't an isolated case. This isn't the only time this happens. Think of the Roman centurion. In Matthew chapter 8, the Roman centurion comes to Jesus and says, look, I need you to help my daughter. You don't have to come. I know you're a man of great authority. You just say the word and it'll be done. And Jesus admires his faith. Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. Cornelius is a Gentile. He is not of the house of Israel. He's not one that the, the, the table's been prepared for and that the, the food has been brought to the, to, to the Gentiles. No, he's like the little dog that we just talked about. And yet, he is a faithful man. He prays often. He is studying God's Word. He wants to please God. And Peter is sent to him. Now, the interesting thing about these is the centurion and the Syrophoenician woman. They ate crumbs. Jesus said, hey, table is prepared for the children. And she says, I'll take the crumbs. I want you to think about that. So often we go, man, I wish I could go back in time and I could see Jesus in his prime when he was walking on the earth, when he was healing people, raising people from the dead, turning water to wine. Then I would believe, I'm telling you, that was crumbs. That was crumbs. Coming to the table, that's Cornelius. He was brought into the kingdom. Brought into the family like we talked about this morning. Like what we have here, the family. This is being at the table. This, what we are experiencing today, having the kingdom 
prepared for us so that we can enter into it. We can have a hope of heaven. That is the power of God's Word. Then if that doesn't convict us, if that won't do anything to turn us to God, seeing Him raise a thousand people from the dead is not going to do it either. These people recognize, if you just cast this demon out of my daughter, that's, that's small fries for you. That is a crumb. These were not isolated cases. They were cases of Gentiles blessed by their faith, and now we can be Gentiles blessed by our faith. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, I want to read this real quickly. <clears throat> and and what, what we find in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11, really through, through about verse 22, but in 11 and 12 especially, we're being reminded, this is who you were. Don't forget where you came from. He says, Therefore remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made, by made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That is what we were. We were without Christ. We were without a covenant relationship, without the promises of hope, of heaven. We were without God. That's where this woman was. That's where all of us were. And he says, that, that has changed. As you continue on reading that account, verse 13, he says, today you're brought near by the blood of Christ. Today you're reconciled as one body in Christ. Today you have access to the Father by the one Spirit. Today you can be fellow citizens, verses 19 through 22, with the saints and the members of the household of God. What he's saying is there was a time when you were the little dog and I loved you, but I had to come to the children of Israel, the children of the household of God. Today, every one of us has the opportunity to be a part of that household. Every one of us has the ability to share in their inheritance in heaven. So the question is, are we going to make good use of that blessing, of what has been afforded to us? Many of the world refuse to even come to the table. In Mark chapter 16, verses 15 through 16, Jesus says, Go into all the world, to every creation, preach the gospel. What's the gospel? That's what Jesus told that woman. I have to come to the Israelites first. But I love you. There's a day when this is going to be expanded to you, and that day has come. As Paul was telling the Ephesians, we are with Christ today. The gospel is He came and He died so that we could be forgiven of our sins, so that we could stand with Him in glory in heaven and eternity. He says, you go and you preach that to all creation, and the ones who believe it and are baptized will be saved. But some won't believe it. Some refuse to come to the table. Are we refusing to come to the table? Jesus invites us. And some are going to accept the invitation, but they come to the table and they refuse to eat. They refuse to take of the blessing which God has set out before them. The Israelites exemplified this better than anybody else. Jesus came in their midst. They were in a covenant relationship with God. Prior to His death, we have to remember that. They're still in a covenant relationship with God they're at the table, and they're saying, we don't want what you're serving. We don't want that. 
We want a physical kingdom. We want this physical king that's going to come and reign like David is going to, to conquer all of the, the world and set up this, this big, beautiful kingdom on earth. Over and over again, Jesus was saying, my kingdom is, is not of flesh and blood. They didn't want that. Many people today still come to Christ. They, they believe that He is the Son of God. They repent of their sins. They are baptized. And yet when they open up His Word and they start learning, they say, well, I don't want that. That's not what I want. I want it my way. I want to go to heaven the way that I want to go to heaven. Are we at the table but refusing to eat what's been offered? Or are we saying, you know what? I kind of got used to eating crumbs. And I would just like to continue that. Sardis, Laodicea, the churches in, in the book of Revelation in chapter 3, that's what Jesus tells them. He says, you're not, you're not turning away from the world. You're continuing in your old ways. The ways that you were before Christ. When you just had the small crumbs. You've been offered a seat at the table and yet you've come and you've said, I want to be exactly how I was before. In Romans chapter 11, that's where Paul tells the, the primary, some Gentile Christians that you can be cut off after you've been sent to the table. Verse 21, he says, God did not spare the natural branches. He may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell. Severity, but toward you, goodness, if you continue in His goodness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. He's telling Gentiles, look at the Israelites. They had the covenant promise, and now they've been cut off. In a couple of years, the Jewish faith is going to be destroyed. He's saying, look at that. And that can happen to you too. Just because you've come to Christ doesn't mean that, that, that you're there forever. You can be cut off. And he goes on to say in verse 23, if they, can, if they do not continue in unbelief, they're going to be brought back in. They're going to be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. He tells them, just because you believe now, just because you're obeying now, doesn't mean that, that you're, just, you're safe forever. You can be cut off again. But even if you've been cut off, you can be grafted back in. You can be redeemed again. You can be restored back to Christ. And that's what we learn in the account of this woman who was hungry for just the crumbs of Jesus' power. Her great faith teaches us and reminds us of the way we were before Christ and the blessings that we now enjoy. So will we have her kind of faith? Will we have a faith that persists even when it feels like we've been dismissed? When God says no, when God says, not right now, will we continue or will we turn away? Do we have a faith that believes that just even a small portion of God's power can cleanse us of unrighteousness? If you have that faith today, rest assured that it can. When the men of, of Israel heard that Jesus truly was the Son of God, they said, how can we be cleansed of this great unrighteousness? What can we possibly do to be saved? And Peter's response to them was, repent and be baptized. He was just preaching what Jesus said to preach. Believe and be baptized and you shall be saved. If we can help you with that this morning in coming to Him, in becoming a sanctuary as we're getting ready to sing, a place set apart for His faith to be on display in our lives. Or maybe you have done that, but you have slowly turned away, turned back to the world, turned back to crumbs, and would like to be restored to Him. If we can help you in some way with any of that, won't you please let us know? Come forward right now as we stand and as we sing.